Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. Let's just pray over what he has for us today. Father God, our hearts are just already so warmed to you. Our eyes are upon you. Our expectation is to you. Everything good and perfect comes from you. And only what is good and perfect comes from you. So we expect, Father God, that the word that we hear today will help us. And uh, we ask that it just be so clear in, in how it's given and then how it's received and then help us to do it in Jesus' precious name. If you can agree with that, wherever you are, just say amen. amen. Praise God. Um, I was going back over um, different, different uh, sites that um, identify the promises that Jesus came the first time and fulfilled. And there are different ones give different amounts, but um, hundreds of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his first coming. And then his second coming, they, uh, there is one that I saw for every one prophecy about his first coming, there are eight about his second coming. So Jesus is coming again. Uh, we say it often, but not enough. So we're just taking an opportunity to say it. Jesus is coming again. And in communion, we celebrated his, his accomplishment in his first coming in mission. But he is definitely coming again. But in the Bible, <clears throat> there are not just pro- prophecies regarding Jesus' first and second coming. There are also promises uh, regarding healing, comfort, provision, peace, guidance, family, and we could keep on making lists and lists and lists. And so Emily has actually had a, has a book that has compiled a lot of those prophecies. You have prophecy or promise books at home that perhaps categorize, I know we do in our own home, little books that have compiled uh, the different categories of promises and you can just flip to them and there's a whole list of promises. Don't we love those? And uh, it's like, a, it, it's like a, a spiritual medicine cabinet. And whatever is the need, God has promises in the book concerning them. And a word that the Lord gave very strongly to Tony regarding promises is they must be possessed. They don't do any good in the promise book. They don't do any good on the wall. They don't even do good just hanging around your wrist or around your neck. They must be possessed. And so um, we're going to look at a set of promises in the Bible about this. And we're calling this today, Are the Bad Guys Going to Win? Yes, indeed. Are the bad guys going to win? Does the Bible have anything to say about that? And are there any promises in the Bible about that? Now, uh, the stories of the Bible... um, actually have, you really don't hardly need any, any additional stories in your life or uh, looking into like, uh, you know, stories about this, that, or the other, or d- different dramas that you may, there is actually amazing drama in the Bible. <laughs> there is amazing drama. The Bible stories have in them some uh, common common uh, characteristics and denominators they uh they have they have extreme need and amazing miracle and um i was thinking about the three hebrew children i love that story shadrach meshach and abednego my dad said i'm still not saying his name right my daddy would say it um shadrach meshach and abednego because um he would give us a Bible story before we went to sleep at night, and that would be what he'd say at the end. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So, uh, I, but I now I can't even say his name right. I can't remember the fellow's name. But anyway, um, so 
but that story is so amazing because it didn't resolve quickly. What, what makes that story put you on the edge is that um, the fire was actually heated seven times hotter. The king got madder, and it, it, the intensity just kept escalating and escalating, and they, they, they bound Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with, with ropes, and they tied them all up, and it, was just, it just kept on getting worse, and deliverance didn't come, didn't come, didn't come. It just kept on getting worse, and you think, this cannot end well. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar was uh, very cruel in what he was doing, and he was so proud in what he was doing because he was wanting uh, everybody to bow down to him like God, and these three wouldn't. And this was what they were getting served up as a result. And so we have, we have this wonderful story as a result of... Um, as, as a result of something not resolving right away. It just kept on getting worse and worse and worse. And finally, they were actually even put in the fiery furnace. And, of course, you know the end of that story. Um, there was a fourth man that was spotted in there. The king even went to look for himself. He spotted a fourth man in that fire. Well, I love that story. Uh, Daniel's story isn't hardly any different. I mean, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't spared from the den of lions. He was actually spared in it, and uh, it was amazing. But it wasn't, just, it wasn't just being spared or delivered out of the fiery furnace or delivered out of the den of lions. It was what happened after they got out. Because Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were all elevated in, in the Babylonian empire in their influence, and they had more, more uh, influence into uh, God's purposes in their life, were more extensive after than before. So these are, these are great stories. Jesus' story. He was, he was actually, um, nothing was spared. It looked, it looked like a debacle to everyone who loved Jesus, who everyone who followed Jesus. The cross and the, the torture that led up to the cross looked like a horrible, horrible debacle. It looked like a failure. That no matter how great Jesus was and no matter how many miracles he had done, it ended in total disaster. And the last thing they hear Jesus saying is, into your father, or into your hands do I commit my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. It looked terrible, except for it wasn't terrible. <laughs> because the things, the way that God works, his mode of operation is not to lose. He has never lost. That's why we sang songs about it today. He has never lost, and he will never lose. But his mode of operation isn't always um, to resolve things in the first minute. That's why he gives promises for people to hang on to. And so Jesus, in knowing that, the Bible says, in knowing his promise to Jesus, the Bible said he actually rested. He reposed in the promise of God. And he said that he knew that God would not leave his soul in hell and he wouldn't let his, his chosen one to see corruption. But he knew that God would raise him from the dead. And he did. Um, the stories that, that we like in movies and stuff have that element, too. When I married Tony, I came into the world of Rocky Balboa. <laughs> and, I, I, yeah, we watched them all, I don't know how many times. 
we know, we know, actually know the dialogue in Rocky Balboa. I have to tell you that on my honeymoon, as we were going through the streets of Verona, he is calling me Adrian and talking like Rocky Balboa. <laughs> on that day, on our honeymoon, I was Adrian. All day long. And I loved him for it too, because it was so funny. But, yeah, it, you know, it, uh, it was always that those Rocky movies and, and, he, and so many others, the, the, what makes them amazing is it just looks like he's going to be slaughtered. Absolutely slaughtered. He's up against something that is way bigger than him, you know, and, and his eyes are all bloody and his that one lip kind of hangs down, you know. <laughs> And it, it just, he's a mess. And then he comes up, and he wins right in the end, you know. Uh, it, you just, it, you love it. And you love those stories. Dwayne Johnson's movies. You know, I was introduced also because of the, yeah, the weightlifting and the bulk of and stuff. One of his predictable moments is somewhere in all of his movies, his shirt is going to come off. <laughs> I've noticed this. But uh, it, it's, going to be, it's going to be an amazing story because it doesn't resolve. However, real life, um, when real life doesn't resolve in the first few minutes, sometimes we get stupid, we get crazy. Like, ah, what's going to happen? We're all going to the dogs. It's terrible. The devil has taken over the world. Or whatever. And you know what? It just isn't so. It just isn't so. We're going to look <clears throat> at some bad news that is very common. We're going to race through it because you didn't come today into the place of God to hear bad news, you came in to hear good news. But we're going to just race through some things that are very common in conversation, in discussion today and in the news. Uh, the marketing of cruelty, I mean, abortion is one thing, but the marketing of cruelty to unborn for the purpose of financial gain and other selfish reasons. Sex trafficking people from infancy on up for huge amounts of money. These are things that are being, okay, we don't talk about, we haven't talked about it so much, Ian, but it's very common, common discussion, and, and more so even in the news. A manipulation of the human mind and emotion through pharmaceuticals for money. A lot of these things are money-driven. Violence and crime every day. Corruption in the governments and agencies that are to uphold and enforce justice. Purposeful unjust treatment of people based on race, ethnic, or religious background. The virus. <sighs> the virus. And then was it developed for political purposes? What are the secret things behind the virus? The vaccine for the virus. Is it designed to kill more than the virus did? And who gets the money? The covering up and twisting of truth, wherever it is. Oh, how about satanic leagues and secret societies across the world? Persecution of Christians. The threat of world wars again. Climate shifts due to human responsibility, irresponsibility, and uh, not taking into account of climate shifts that have happened years and years and, and repeated in times of history. But all of these different things in the news, in discussion, across tables, on the phone, all over the place, um, yeah, it looks bad. It looks bad. Um, I got a, uh, we got a text the other day, and it, the question, uh, the, 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 um, the message said, we've got to pray harder, because it looked so bad. We've got to pray harder. And I thought about that. 
as far as if we're going to put, if you and I all together, just in our own efforts, are trying to put the skids on all the evil and the wickedness of the world, I tell you what, it's like, it's like trying to keep something from going off the cliff like a piano, a grand piano from going off the cliff uh, and you're the only one hanging on to the rope. It's just, uh, yeah, we're just skidding to the end of total disaster, total wickedness eclipsing the world. What is going to happen? So today we're going to look at some good news. Y'all up for some good news? Okay, let's get some good news. We're going to look today at promises that good will triumph. Now, I, I got into my Bible, uh, one that I've had since 1987, and um, Amplified Bible, and it's really all, 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 all marked up. And um, I was showing my daughter Liliana uh, that Bible uh, yesterday. It, uh, I could tell different things that had gone on in my life uh, as a by, by looking at what I had written. But one thing that I started noticing Oh, my goodness. I don't know how many years 1987 is, but probably around 1990, I started noticing how many promises in the Bible there are that good will triumph and evil will not. Now, something that I also noticed regarding promises is you don't need a promise for something that is an obvious. You need a promise when it looks like the opposite will be. So I'm going to say it to you a little bit different. There was a promise given to Elijah in the book of 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, that there would be rain. It's the only promise that God gave him. In verse 1, he said, it's going to, I'm going to send rain. Do you know it's the only thing at the end of that day that didn't happen? Fire came down from heaven. He was able to kill the prophets of Baal. There was all kinds of drama, beautiful thing, but there was no rain. But Elijah took that promise that was given in the very first verse, and he went to prayer with that promise. He prayed according to the promise. In other words, he possessed that promise, and when it looked like it was not going to happen, it was the promise that was his anchor to what God had said would happen, and it was anchored actually in God himself. God cannot lie. When he promises something, you can take it to the bank, you can take it to whatever else you want to take it to, but the will of God is going to come to pass. So there are so many promises, as I said about the first and second coming and about other things, but there is a startling number of promises regarding the fact that good will win and the bad guys are not going to win. Why would God, why would God jam-pack the Bible with so many? You read the book of Psalms, and there's heaps in the whole book of Psalms and Proverbs. We're going to look at some. But the first 14 chapters... Some of them, that's the main topic of the chapter. So many. Let's look at Proverbs. I'm going to just read from four different chapters here. And we're going to race through these verses of Scripture. But why would God give so many promises that evil will not prevail? Because I'll tell you why. There would be indication, natural indication, that there's a shift towards evil. And God just wants his people to know, don't fall into that current. It's not true. Evil is not going to prevail. God prevails. Can you say amen on that about our God that we've been singing how great he is? So the wicked, Proverbs 12 verse 7 says, the wicked are taken out, gone for good, but the godly family shall live on. Proverbs 13, verse 22 and 23, the benevolent man leaves an inheritance that endures to his children's children, but the wealth of the wicked is treasured up for the righteous. 
The lovers of God will live a long life and get to enjoy their wealth, but the ungodly will suddenly perish. Proverbs 21, verse 15 and 18. When justice is served, the lovers of God celebrate and rejoice, but the wicked begin to panic. And we see that. The wicked bring on themselves the very suffering they planned for others. Their treachery comes back to haunt them. Proverbs 24, verse 20. For the evil people have no future. The light of the wicked will be snuffed out. That is a promise, okay? So the, the Bible actually contains uh, many prayers and promises uh, regarding the wicked, um, different writers, but uh, in the book of Psalms and Proverbs particularly, but not only them, but the, the prophets, their prophecies um, contained so much of that, but also about hope. Uh, Jesus himself also wrote along these lines, and the New Testament writers also along these lines. But we're going to just hone in on David. David's main prayers were of worship. If you were to read the book of Psalms and look at all of his prayers, and I've color-coded uh, in the Bible so you can spot them there, but his, uh, his main prayers were of worship, which, of course, we know. He was, he was the psalmist of Israel. And, but another one of his prayers is that his own enemies would not triumph, of course, and he did have enemies. But the third area of his prayers were that uh, evil would not win. I think that is so interesting. He actually prayed into that. Now, uh, we're going to look at chapter 10. Uh, I'm going to just read this to you. This is one of David's psalms. I want to read it to you. I had a, um, I had a, a vision, or a dream actually, a dream that lasted all night. Um, this is over 20 years ago. We were living in, in Italy at that time. And we were living in a little place called Ospedaletto, and I had a terrible dream, uh, really, uh, it was awful, and it was about human suffering, and the suffering was at the hands of other humans, so human-inflicted suffering. It was very detailed, and it encompassed everything from children uh, all the way up and in all kinds of settings, in homes, prisons, concentration camps, um, all kinds of settings. It was very detailed. It in included even animals who suffered at the hands of man. And I, uh, the second night, as this dream started back up again, because I dreamed it all night the night before, and it had made me sick at my stomach for what I witnessed in that dream, the next night, that dream, as soon as I fell off to sleep, returned. And I thought, I cannot dream this again. And I woke up, I got out of bed, I, I said, Tony, I, I can't stand this. I, got, I went into the living room and I got on my, on my knees and I just cried out to God, God, do something. After he showed me this huge room of suffering. And you know what he told me? He said, I'm doing the most I can do with the prayers I have. I can quote that, and that's been over 20 years. I quote what he said to me. I'm doing the most I can do with the prayers I have. I thought, well, we need to get you some more prayers. So I started looking in the Bible and noticed what David would pray. He would pray. He also said that as an answer to our prayers, that he would let us know, he would let us know when when justice and when help and when vindication came to people to break their suffering. Because the, the God that is in heaven hears the cries of people who are suffering. And he is not cavalier about it. He's not nonchalant about it. He 
hurts with that suffering. And so he moves on, on his people to pray so that he can intervene. And we're going to talk today about that a little bit. But uh, uh, I'd like to read this psalm to you of David's. Can you just listen to it? It'll be in Psalms, the 10th chapter. It says, O oh Lord, why do you stand so far off? And I tell you, people in the world are saying that question to him. If God's real, why is he standing so far off? Why isn't he doing something? Huh? Well, David prayed that in the Bible. I don't think we have to be, you know, defensive for God if people are bringing up those prayers. David prayed that. He said, why do you stand so far off? Why do you hide when I'm in trouble? We could easily say when so many people are in trouble. The wicked arrogantly hunt down the poor. Let them be caught in the evil they plan for others. He's praying. For they brag about their evil desires. They praise the greedy and curse the Lord. The wicked are too proud to seek God. They seem to think that God is dead. Yet they succeed in everything they do. Seems like they're succeeding. They do not see your punishment is awaiting them. They sneer at all their enemies. They think nothing bad will ever happen to us. We will be free of trouble forever. Their mouths are full of cursing, lies, and threats. Trouble and evil are on the tips of their tongues. They lurk in ambush in the villages waiting to murder innocent people. That's literal. That's happening in our world. They are always searching for helpless victims. Like lions crouching in hiding, they wait to pounce on the helpless. Like hunters, they capture the helpless and drag them away in nets. Their helpless victims are crushed. They fall beneath the strength of the wicked. The wicked think, God isn't watching us. He's closed his eyes and won't even see what we do. Arise, O Lord. Punish the wicked, O God. Do not ignore the helpless. Why do the wicked get away with despising God? They think God will never call us to account. But you see the trouble and grief they cause. You take note of it and punish them. The helpless put their trust in you. You defend the orphans. Break the arms. This is a prayer. Break the arms of these wicked, evil people. Go after them until the last one is destroyed. The Lord is king forever and ever. The godless nations will vanish from the land. Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you hear their cries and comfort them. You will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed so mere people can no longer terrify them. I love that last verse. So, let's look at this. Let's look at what God does. There are two ways, they're not the only ways, they're just two ways that we're going to look at today, that God deals with evil. All right? The first one. Are you ready for the first one? What does God do with evil? Does he just look away and say, I can't stand to see it. I don't want to see it. Everything is so lovely here in heaven. Let's just talk about all the good and lovely things that are happening. No. God is aware. And he does not look away. But what, what does God do? Number one, he put all the evilness and wickedness on Jesus. Strategically, he put all the wickedness and evil on Jesus and judged him, judged wickedness in one place. He brought it all, the essence of all evil, put it on his son and judged evil on his son. Okay, he poured out fury against wickedness on his son. Isaiah 53, verse 6 says, The Lord laid on him the sins of us all. You say, well, I haven't done anything like that. Well, neither have I, but what anything that any of us have done, the Bible says the wages of sin are what? The gift of God is eternal life. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, Who himself bore our sins, where? In his own body that we, having died to sins, could live for righteousness. Romans 8, 3, and I don't have this verse, I just want to read this uh, up here, but 8, 3 says this, 
it says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, in other words, human beings just couldn't do it, couldn't be perfect in themselves, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So Jesus had a perfect life, a perfect body, but God put on that perfect person our imperfections and then judged it. And I want you to see what God thinks about it. So is God just okay? Does he just smile and say, you're okay, it'll be okay, it's not so bad. Or, you know, every, each to his own, everybody can do. No, uh, put, put that picture up. This is what God thinks about sin. The picture, if you could look at the picture. Yeah. He laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. And did he say, you know, it's okay. No, that's the judgment of God on Jesus. No, he didn't do anything wrong. That was the judgment of God on our sins. Aren't we thankful? That's what should have fallen on us. But it didn't. It fell on him. That's why we sing songs about it every week. That's why we never get tired of singing about the cross and about the redemptive work of the Lord. Because if it didn't fall on him, it would have fallen on us and separated us eternally from God. But because of what Jesus did, and if we receive it, now so the wicked people, listen to this. This is, this is not, you know, just, uh, there's so many things we could say, but we're trying to hone in on what is God doing about wicked, wickedness and wicked people. He did that for them. He took all their wickedness and put it on Jesus and judged it on him. They need to know. They need to know. They don't know it. They need to know that somebody else took the rap for them and not just a prison sentence. The fury of doing something wrong and against God in hurting people. Yeah, they need to know it. They need to know God's position on sin because sin destroys. They need to be confronted with the extreme and extravagant love of God that arranged this substitution so, so that they could be free from sin, so they don't have to be identified with the wicked works that they have done. They've done wickedly. But God loves them. God didn't love what the wickedness was that they did. And so... He separated it and put it on Jesus and judged it there. They need to know so that they could choose what Jesus did for them. If they reject what Jesus did for them, if they just look at that and say, yep, that was too bad for him, then there is no sacrifice then. They chose not to stand with the benefit of what Jesus did for them. They step out of that mercy. They step away from the compassion of God. And they say, no, I'm good for myself. I'm on my own. They need to know. Wicked people need to know. I'm setting that up because there's something that we can do about that. Number two, what does God do for wickedness? About wickedness and about evil in the world? Evil. Well, he, he did that spiritually upon Jesus. So there's a way for people to change. Number two is he has commissioned positions of authority to represent his justice. In other words, he made, God made lawmakers and law keepers. God did. Not Queensland government, not Australian government or any government in any nation. That's not originally where it came from. It originally came from God. So Romans, the 13th chapter, look at this verse of Scripture, this portion of Scripture. It says, so to resist authority is to resist the divine order of God, uh, which results in severe consequences, okay? 
For civil authorities don't intimidate those who are doing good, but those who are doing evil. So do what is right, and you'll never need to fear those in authority. They will commend you for your good citizenship. Those in authority are whose servants? What does it say? Do we have that? Romans, the, the, uh, Romans the 13th chapter. Huh? Oh, it's too big. They are God's servants. Say God's servants. This is in Romans, the 13th chapter. They are God's servants. One more time, say, they are God's servants. They are God's servants for the good of society. But if you break the law, you have reason to be alarmed, for they are God's agents of punishment to bring criminals to justice. Why do you think they carry weapons? So, Wow, that's an interesting verse of scripture that's not, you know, about our healing and about our, you know, God's provision for us or comfort or peace. But these verses of scripture are in the Bible so that we all can lead a quiet and a peaceable life and understand God's way. He, he poured out his judgment upon Jesus so that then through Jesus and his church, he can pour out his mercy and salvation. Aren't you thankful? Did anybody in here break the law? You don't have to raise your hand too high. <laughs> but all of us, whether you broke the law or whatever, have a, a police record or whatever, all of us did sin. And all of us were in the same pickle together as far as being separated from God. But because of what God did through Christ, then through, through uh, God's people can come mercy and salvation. And people can, we as the church can tell people, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you were, come, we have a Savior. You have a Savior. Come and accept. But then he also has a set of servants that aren't just in the church. He has a set of servants that are also in society. And those are lawmakers and law keepers. They're his servants. And they are for the good of society. And these, these wonderful servants, these wonderful servants, uh, God backs them up. And God wants to help them help our society. So people who make laws, people who uh, today are in positions of uh, like, like uh, parliament, all the way to policemen and military and everybody in between, they are God's servants. Now, I'd like you to look at a verse of scripture here. What is God's reactions to evil? Um, sometimes our reactions to hearing really terrible things that are happening in the world can be like, oh, that's terrible. That's a horrible thing to, to be happening. However, uh, what is God's reaction to people who are framing up on him to do more and more wickedness? Let's, let's read Psalms 2. Can we find that? Psalms 2. And it says this, How dare the nations plan a rebellion? Their foolish plots are futile. Look at how the power brokers of the world rise up to hold their summit as the rulers scheme and confer together against Yahweh and his anointed king, saying, let's come together and break away from the creator. So there's just this thing, this uh, anti-Christ type of emotion and scuffle that's happening that is trying to break away from God and everything of God and everything from creation. And it says, once and for all, let's cast off these controlling chains of God and his Christ. That's what they're saying. God enthroned nearly laughs at them. I love this verse of scripture and the sovereign one mocks their madness. 
in other words, when God hears all these conferences of people scheming together to do wickedness and evil, and they're going to do it more, and they're going to take over this, and they're going to take over the media, and they're going to take over the medical, and they're going to take over this, and they're going to take over that, and they're going to drive God's people underground. You know what God in heaven does? He says, angels, come here. Come here, I'm so scared. Hold, hold, hold me still. I'm starting to tremble on my throne. They've about got me off of it. No. No. God in heaven laughs. Why? It's funny? No. He just knows that their attempts are futile and will not work. Now, so what should our reactions be? If God is, is not worried in heaven, if he's not like wringing his hands and sweating on the throne, then what should our reaction be here on earth as his representatives? Well, the first one we're going to look at is in Proverbs 24 and verse 19. It says, don't be angrily offended over evildoers or be agitated by them. For the wicked have no life and no future. Their light of life will die out. There you have it. That's a promise. It will not last. Now, so in other words, don't just get mad. You say, well, it is so aggravating. It's, it's so terrible. It makes you mad. Now, I said, don't just get mad. The Bible says, be angry, but don't sin. What do we do with the anger? Don't just get mad. Look at Philippians, the first chapter, in verse 28. In the Amplified, it says, and do not for a moment be frightened or intimidated in anything by your opponents or adversaries. For such constancy and fearlessness will be a clear sign, proof, and seal to them of their impending destruction, but a sure token and evidence of your deliverance and salvation, and that from God. The second reaction that we're to have is no fear. And instead, fearlessness and constancy. Hallelujah. So, in other words, we don't just get mad and fall apart and just uh, become absolutely, absolutely out of control, and neither do we get afraid. And what this does is it gives a sign to that wicked spirit that is controlling so many people. It gives a sign of their uh, of their destruction and of our deliverance. So the third thing, the first one was don't, don't just get mad only. Don't just be afraid or don't be afraid. Number three, do something. Do something that makes a difference. There's a song I heard Andy singing, I think, at a, um, back earlier in the year. Um, do something. Do something. Uh, don't just sit and watch the news. Don't just sit and listen to what's, what's happening in the world. We're Christians. We're the legislating body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do something. Don't just listen to things that just make you mad and then make you scared and then start spiraling into the very same current that the whole world is in. No, let's do something. And so let's look and see what we can do. Number one, believe the promise of, promises that God wins. Believe it. Believe it. That's why we wanted to point them out. And now when you read in the book of, of, of Psalms, Proverbs, anywhere else in the Bible, you'll, it'll start standing out to you. Believe that God wins. All right? Believing is so important. Say this, I am a believer. One more time, say it. I'm a believer. And Ephesians, the first chapter, says that believing releases the power that raised Jesus from the dead. So if you were the devil, 
And there was a group of believers, and every time they believed a promise, it releases resurrection power. What would you strategically try to get that group of believers to do? Stop believing or get them to believe the wrong thing because it could close down that power that, that comes against you. I'm talking about if you were the devil and aren't you glad you're not the devil? The devil doesn't want believers to believe or he wants them to believe the wrong thing. Romans 1.16 says that believing releases gospel power or power to save. So, possess the promises. Let's possess these promises that evil will not win. How do we do it? Believe it. That means you have to feed on those promises. Number two, say it. Let's say those promises. The next time there is a newscast or there is something that spins this feeling to you that hope is being lost or everything is crumbling apart, speak the promise right into it. You might want to talk right to your television and say, evil will not prevail. Amen. Let's release resurrection power. Let's release salvation power say it and number th the last thing that we can do is respond like god is not a bald-faced liar if there is it should be anyone on the earth that is calm and cool and collected it should be believers why because either he flat out lied and we better be afraid. Or what he said is true. And if we believe him, we'll be like Jesus in the boat when there was a storm. And we're going to be calm. And something about that calmness releases his power and forwards his power to stop wickedness. Let's be a part of what God is doing. So disobedience, the Lord put this in my heart, disobedience is a hindrance to God. But doubt that God will come through is actually pushback. We don't want to doubt him. We want to believe him. The last thing we want to say is this, pray. Pray. Believe and lastly, pray. Pray for those who are in authority. 1 Timothy 2 and 1 through 4 says, and then the last thing is pray that hidden things will come to light. Look at Luke, the 12th chapter in verse 2 to 3. And God will answer these prayers when we pray them. The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the darkness or whatever is said in the darkness will be heard in the light. And what has ever been whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Secret things are coming out. Why? Because crooked things are being straightened up. And if the musicians could please come, the worship team could please come. Because Jesus is coming again and crooked things are being straightened up. They don't happen apart from us. They happen together with us. Let's believe God really is mighty. He really is powerful. He really is a lion. He really is. Amen. And he works through us. That light drives back darkness. Praise the name of the Lord. And in, as a result, people that have been tortured as a result of wickedness, get free and people see that there is a God who has compassion and that justice rules. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Father God, I just thank you so much this morning. I thank you so much that you are just and you are kind and you are good and you have planned for all triumph, all victory. Hallelujah. And we don't have to worry about, uh, about losing. We will win. We triumph 
in the name of Jesus. We thank you for that, Lord. Father, I pray if there's anybody here in this room this morning or if there's anyone who is listening at home or wherever they may be and they haven't taken advantage of the fact that their sins have already been judged on the precious body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their sins have already been judged. If they haven't taken advantage of that fact to say, Jesus, thank you for doing that for me. I never asked you to do that. You did that because, because God wanted you to and because God loved me. Father, I pray for that person. I pray for those people right now, and I'd like them to follow me in a prayer. If this is you, follow me in this prayer. Father God, thank you for your love for me, that you made a way to not judge my sins on me, but to judge my sins on Jesus. I believe what Jesus did for me on the cross, and I believe that you raised him from the dead. I receive him as my Savior, and I declare him to be my Lord. Jesus, you are my Lord. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. I'd like you just to lift up your hand to him right now. Say this after me, everyone across here. Just say this. I'm a part of the body of Christ. I've been made righteous. And your righteousness flows through me. Your light flows through me. Your goodness flows through me to drive back darkness and wickedness. I believe that your goodness is greater than wickedness. And I release your goodness today. And in this next week, wherever I go. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au.